This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Thanks for being with us on this foggy Sunday morning. Kind of an eerie feel to the city right now with the thick fog. And that plays perfectly with our next topic. And author Eve Lazarus joins us on the line. Eve, great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. 65 years since uh, one of the most gruesome discoveries in the city of Vancouver, something you've written about extensively, and it remains an open case. It does. Uh, tell us a bit, for people who aren't familiar with the Babes in the Woods story, uh, bring us a, or, or give us a bit of the background on it, if you could. Sure. Uh, it's a story about two small children who were killed in Stanley Park um, in a actually very remote part of Stanley Park up north of Beaver Lake and the skeleton remains were found about six years after their murder by a parks board worker on January the 14th 1953 and to add to the whole mystery for some reason after he'd found them he went home to sleep on it and didn't tell anyone till the next day. Which is boggling mind-boggling itself a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, 65 years later, we still don't know who these children were, who murdered them, or or why they were murdered. And it's just taken on this kind of mythic proportions, I think, probably particularly because it happened in Stanley Park. And and you've written about this uh, in your book, and we've talked to you about uh, Cold Case Vancouver, uh, the city most baffling unsolved murders. And when you write about this one, it's uh, I, it's uh, it might be a bit too much detail for people uh, as they have breakfast this morning. But uh, the the, uh, the worker, 1953, as you mentioned, uh, Albert Amos Tong, working for the Vancouver Park Board, stepped on something, heard a crack, and then found the skeletons under as he pulled away an old coat. Right. And he found some other evidence as well. Um, the remnants of the clothes that the boys had been wearing, there were tartan jackets and there was a woman's shoe. Um, and they found the hatchet, which turned out to be the murder weapon. He And again, and again not to, to only harp on this, but again, it's, it seems unreal. And I know this is, it's nonfiction. It's not as though uh, this is made up. The, the fact that, that you make this gruesome discovery, he went home, went uh, to thought about the discovery and then the next morning called police Uh, you write about this as well was he at all implicated or was he a suspect in the case no never and he was part of this parks board crew that were sent to this kind of remote place part of uh, stanley park back then still pretty remote now and um, they were clearing this brush for some kind of fire prevention program so there was no sort of reason why he shouldn't have been there and so no he was never implicated in it now he had I don't know what nationality he was and it was a very racist time back then so perhaps there was some thought that he might be uh, in trouble with police Hmm. Uh, the um, the skeletons as well and uh, the, the police officers that were then called uh, to that scene they um in one case, there was still a leather, uh, an Air Force-style flying helmet that you write about. They had black leather belts around their waists. Do we know, uh, through through decades now of investigation, do we know anything more about the the identities or about the cause of death? Well, what was really um, interesting, because it was so rudimentary with crime scene investigation back then. You know, nowadays you'd lock the scene down for days and they'd pour over every inch for you know 
all the space around. But back then, they sort of they counted the leaves to determine the approximate year of death, and they counted six leaves. So they figured that you know the murder happened in 1947, six years before, and they determined from the skeleton remains that it was a girl and boy, even though that that was really difficult to do. And as you pointed out, that they were wearing boys' clothes. And this mistake, this boy, you know, someone had written down boy and girl, and this mistake sent them down the wrong path for the next 40 years while they went searching for a brother and sister. So it wasn't until DNA came on the scene in the 90s and um, the Provincial Unsolved Homicide Unit was formed and they had DNA to, from the, um, the bones and they took it out to Dr. Sweet at UBC who was able to take DNA from the teeth and, and find that there are actually two boys. So that threw out literally decades of police work as they had to go back through the files and see if they could find uh, cases of missing brothers. And why was the assumption made that one was a girl? Um, it was made in the autopsy from the skeleton remains which is just, as you know, mentioned, it was really odd because that was a really difficult thing to do. It, it seems almost like it was a mistake. Someone had written it down and then it became true. Hmm. The, um, and, and the woman's coat, so they were underneath a woman's coat and there was also a woman's shoe. Yes. And so I, I guess part of the mystery, too, is who was the woman that these articles of clothing belonged to? Well, they've always thought it was the mother or a guardian, and when I looked at that, um, it, it seems so horrific that someone could take, you know, premeditated and take a children to the park and, and kill them with a hatchet. But I was going through the uh, annual reports for the police department for those years, and we're looking just after the war, and it was an incredibly violent time and a particularly tough time for women. And one of the um, police reports for 1948 had um, three different murder-suicides of women that uh, one woman who'd thrown her children off a bridge and then jumped off after them, and two women had gassed themselves and their children. So these were desperate times for mothers, especially unwed mothers, and who had no safety net at all. And it's just hard to imagine now, but I, I'm just, my thought is it was just an act of complete desperation. And you're right, we tend to, to read about crimes now and, and think about crimes with today's standards and today's level of testing and DNA and whether we're a, a bit uh, as well taken by TV shows that are about that. Uh, but 1953, when they were found, and six years prior to that, a very, very different time. And, you know, you had a lot of uh, war vets returning, you had homelessness. Um, the second Hotel Vancouver was taken over by, by vets and their families who had nowhere to live. There are a number of murders uh, unsolved murders around that time and, and some that happened in the park. So, yeah, it, it is really hard to, to think of that. Um, as the case, are there still officers or, I mean, it's an open case. I, I mean, I guess there must still be officers who are hopeful or want to solve this. Well, uh, yeah, it's actually one of uh, 181 uh, open cases with the BC Coroner's Service. It's their oldest case. And um, it, they have been working on it. It's definitely a, an open investigation and probably the, the most promising lead that's come in recent years and with a, a former Vancouver police detective and I'd interviewed him for Cold Case Vancouver a few years back. Uh, he was born in 1930. He lived with his grandmother in her rooming house in the West End and uh, he told me that his, his grandmother had been friends with the signalman at the Prospect Point Lighthouse now, that was decommissioned in the 20s, but 
the family would have grown up in Stanley Park. Anyway, after the war, uh, the, the daughter had two boys and they lived with this detective and his grandmother in, in the West End. And at one point, the two little boys disappeared. Now, their disappearance was never explored at the time because detectives were looking for a boy and a girl. But um, the, the detective had brought this up again over the years and um, an investigation had found that this woman had had another son and he'd survived into the 70s. Anyway, it's possible he's a half-brother to the babes in the woods and, and could lead to their identification. And in 2015, his body was exhumed and it was tested for, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, mitochondrial DNA. And as that was explained to me, that's DNA that's been passed directly from the mother. And unfortunately, the results were inconclusive. There just wasn't enough DNA for a match. But it's, you know, DNA improves all the time. And I think there's a definite possibility that um, we may be able to identify the two boys. Yeah, right, because it's not as though that test ruled them out. It no. just wasn't a conclusive test. Yeah, and the, the problem with the BC coroner service is, apart from the fact that these tests are incredibly expensive to perform, um, the biggest problem is all they have are the two little skulls. And DNA is finite. You know, there's just, it's going to run out. So they have to be really, really careful what they test for and, and to make sure that there's a real likelihood of a, a, a result. Yeah. Where are the skulls right now? They're with the coroner's service. Hmm. And at the time, too, you would think that there would be a record of the boys, that they would have birth certificates or there would be some record. And then there might be questions that, that these boys never showed up in school or, or, or disappeared. Absolutely. But again, we're looking just after the war and it was so transient back then that a couple of boys that disappeared probably wouldn't have been, you know, that unusual. And police did. I mean, they did a fantastic job in the investigation looking for a boy and girl. They went through about um, 76 pairs of children, I believe, um, that they had reports on that had disappeared from uh, from Vancouver schools and... and, uh, explored all that but of course they didn't look for two brothers right uh, there's been a an anthropologist and this is on your blog as well as in your book uh, making a recreation of the possible victims is there concern though as each year goes by we're now at 65 years does is the hope fading do you think that this will be solved well whoever murdered them and if it was the mother she very likely did kill herself straight afterwards so Whoever did is long dead. But yeah, I think there's still a real possibility that we'll be able to give the the two little boys their names back and at least close the case in that way. And, and there's something there's something poetic about that. Like you said, it's not it's not a, an investigation to to punish. This is more of a, a closing of a case and 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 showing a bit of a, being respectful or or an end to these these two little boys. Yeah, it's giving them their names. I think that's so important. Uh, how is this uh, your book is all about uh, the cold cases Vancouver it feels like this one sticks out for you as far as or or is one that's kind of uh, that that I guess most memorable isn't the right word but does it uh, as far as the cases that you've written about is this one that uh, perhaps you would like to see solved the most 
Ah, I'd like to see them all solved, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd like to see these kids identified. I, I just think, you know, being a mother and, and just everything else and Stanley Park and and all of that, it would just be nice to, to give them that, to give them that identity and bury them with names and, and, and just close it. I mean, it was so bizarre. Um, you mentioned the, the sculptor that made the heads back in the early stages of the mystery. Well, they and the actual bones were on display in the police museum for years and years, and they were actually an exhibit at, at the P&E. Like, they were a curiosity. And I, I just find this, uh, again, we're looking back into a different time, but I just find this shocking, the way they've been treated and disrespected. So, yeah, I'd like to see it closed. All right. Well, Eve, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. All right. That is bye-bye. That is Eve Lazarus. She is an author of Cold Case Vancouver. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.